Well, good morning. Welcome to Bergen Park Church. I'm glad that you made it in. Happy New Year. Sort of. A couple more days, right? Hey, it seems to me that Christmas has come and gone, and almost just as quickly as it arrived, we are now again thinking about ourselves. Thinking about what did we get for Christmas? What didn't we get? What do we like about our lives? What don't we like? Time to make New Year resolutions. Feeling a little bit too fat? Go ahead and put your down payment for the whole year on the gym because that's how they get you. Uh, new, new, <laughs> new goals, new diets, new resolutions. Everything is time to think about ourselves. What can we do differently? I was looking online about 2018 resolutions, and according to the YouGov poll, the most popular resolutions included eating healthier, getting more exercise, saving more money, Focus on self-care, meaning sleep more, reading more, making new friends, learning new skills, getting a new job, and taking up a new hobby. Those all sound great. Just do it. Just look at your life, figure out what you want changed differently, and make the change, right? That's how it works. It seems like we have a fantasy in our heads of what our ideal self is like, that if only we did this, then I'd be the, the full me. If only I traveled more, then my kids would have the experience I want them to have. If only I would able to have a better job that paid a little bit more money, then I'd be able to have the house I want. If only I had that dog. All these different ideas in our minds of, if we had this, then I'd be my, my true self. What a time to be alive, 2019. What do you want to change? The problem with all this is that it's based on judgments on ourselves of what do we want best? What do we want for our lives based on what we think is important? Now, as the new year comes, we have this little spark of hope in our lives that something can change. That's where all the excitement comes, right? That this is going to be the year. Things are going to get better. But as the January 1st becomes the second and the first week becomes the, se the second week, slowly as time goes on, that spark of hope that we had beginning the year that might slowly change to hopelessness as we look more and more like we did two months ago. Perhaps there's things that we see in our lives, though, that make this change from hope to hopelessness a little bit faster. Maybe we see something on the news and we realize that, you know, this year is just like last. Maybe we go to the doctor and get a prognosis that things aren't going to be getting better. Jeez, who let this guy preach? It's supposed to be a cheerful time. Church is supposed to be a time when you come and feel good about yourselves and you leave and maybe hear about Jesus along the way, right? Wouldn't it be nice if everything was just bright and cheery all the time? If everything just worked. Become a Christian and things would be great. Maybe you looked at your bank account after Christmas and you realized this little nest egg that you had saving up over the year is now gone again and it's time to start over. There's all sorts of ways to define hope. It seems like it combines our emotions with our actions, and if things work out right, it becomes hope, and if it doesn't turn out right, it might be more of a hopelessness. In that moment of hopelessness, where do we turn? In the wider world, we have school shootings, we have terrorism, we have bombings, we have pollution and sex trafficking and all these things in our world that really aren't all that great. What happens when the, the mine that you inherited has no gold worth taking out of it? What happens 
when your wife has a miscarriage? What happens when your investment is dry? Where do we find hope when everything else seems hopeless? I'm a, if you know me well, I'm a big fan of National Geographic. And I like it because I like knowing what's going on in the world. And as I was reading the October edition, there was this beautiful article about hope. Where do we find hope in the secular world? The author, Anne Lamott, of this article, she writes, Hope is sometimes a cranky optimism. Trust, confidence that those I love will be okay. That they will come through, whatever life holds in store. Hope is the belief that no matter how dire things look or how long rescue or healing takes, modern science in tandem with people's goodness and caring will boggle our minds in the best way. Essentially what she's saying is that between science and good people, everything's going to be okay. Stuff seems hopeless, but it'll work out. Uh, is that true? I struggle with depression and anxiety in my life. And every so often when I am down in the pit, there's a meditation I listen to put on by the worship band Gunger. If you're familiar with them, they, they've put this meditation, it's about 10 minutes long, and it's on the ancient wisdom book Ecclesiastes. And in the meditation, they try to think about the fact that we medicate and numb ourselves to avoid the truth of our humanity, that we're fallen people. The meditation tries to trigger memories from when you're younger. And so it talks about perhaps when you were young and on the playground, you felt like everything was going to be terrible, life or death, because you didn't get a fair turn on the playground. How many things do we stress out today about that are life or death that are just as silly as that? that we just don't realize in the moment. Both Gunger and the author of National Geographic kind of make the point that if we do things well enough, probably things will be okay. And we're here today and things will be okay tomorrow. Dare I call it a pervasive anthem of our day that don't worry, everything's going to be all right. I mean, my favorite, uh, one of my favorite songs of Bob Marley is Don't Worry, Everything's Going to Be All Right. The problem with it is that it's not true, is it? Sometimes you go to the doctor for a routine checkup, and three weeks later you are told there's nothing else the doctors can do. There's people in slavery in Thailand today that will never have a better hope for their lives than what they're in right now. California was just burnt to a crisp. The school district where my wife used to teach has a statistic that every 3.7 years there's a school shooting. It's been four and a half, and so the teachers are being told it's going to happen any day now. What kind of culture is this where we're just waiting for bad stuff to happen? Perhaps you have depression like me and every morning you wake up and sometimes it's really hard and you gave up on praying for redemption because this is how it's been your entire life and is it going to get better? Perhaps you're stuck in poverty in an economic system where between overworking and low wages and this housing market that we live in, that 90-day emergency fund that we're supposed to have, probably doesn't really exist. Our, uh, our reality is just bleak and fallen, and this isn't anything new. For thousands of years, this is the way it's been. Life is really hard. And if you're like me, sometimes it's easier to sing a song, I meant in the background, everything's going to be all right, and just ignore all of the details of our lives. It's New Year's, it's time to be excited, things are going to get better. We can make things better this time. Let's just deny the fact that our reality says otherwise. But Brian, we just celebrated Christmas. Jason just taught us there's hope in Jesus and things are going to be awesome. Where does that fit in? It's where it gets complicated. 
with my youth, I sometimes talk about this illustration they call D-Day and V-Day. D-Day in World War II is Decision Day. On June 6, 1944, the Allies liberated Western Europe from Nazi control. And historians have looked back and looked at this battle of Normandy. That's where everything was decided. That's where the war is basically over. But for another 336 days, people continue to fight. There's still families at war. People still, they're struggling, and their life probably seemed pretty hopeless. They may or may not heard of the news that the war, about the battle at Normandy, that things are going to get better. But I bet there was people who were hopeless and struggling in that time period. In a lot of ways, the time period we live in right now, it's the same type of scenario, right? Our circumstances seem dire and bleak, but did you catch wind of the news? A baby is born, our Messiah is here, things are going to be awesome. Or maybe you're like the author of, of National Geographic or Bob Marley, or even Gunger resting your hope in the fact that, you know, things have been okay so far and they'll continue to be okay. I just need to persevere, just get through it. The season of Advent begs for hope to be found in Christ, not in our own resilience. There's this passage in Isaiah you can open up to in chapter 11, where the people in Israel found hope in it for years, thousands of years. As we are turning to it, there's some context we need to think about. Starting in chapter 9, there's line after line talking about destruction that's going to be given to the people of Israel. All these people are going to come in and conquer them, and there's wrath and anger from God towards them, and this is going to be the reality. Now, when we think of Israel, do you think my people? That's basically what they are. As we are adopted in God's kingdom, we also are adopted into the people of God. And so when we read about Israel, we should, we should find some ownership in it. This is who we are. But as we get to chapter 11, there's this anger from God towards his people, and it slowly becomes transitioned towards God, Israel's enemies rather than Israel itself. And then we get to chapter 11, and chapter 11 is this fantasy almost. Read, read with me at verse 1. Then a shoot will grow up from the stump of Jesse and a branch from his roots will bear fruit. The spirit of the Lord will rest on him, a spirit of wisdom and understanding, a spirit of counsel and strength, a spirit of knowledge of the fear of the Lord, and his delight will be in the fear of the Lord. He will not judge by what he sees with his eyes, and he won't execute justice by what his ears hear, but he will judge the poor righteously and execute justice for the oppressed of the land. He will strike the land from a scepter from his mouth, and he will kill the wicked with a command from his lips. Righteousness will be a belt around his hips, and faithfulness will be a belt around his waist. This is where it gets interesting. The wolf will dwell with the lamb, and the leopard will lie down with the goat. The calf and the young lion and the fattened calf will all be together, and the child will lead him. The cow and the bear will graze, and the young ones will lie down together, and the lion will eat straw like cattle. An infant will play beside the cobra's pit, and a toddler will put his hand into the snake's den. They will not harm or destroy each other on my entire holy mountain, for the land will be as full of the knowledge of the Lord as the sea is filled with water. The goodness of this passage is kind of missed unless you recognize how dire and bleak things were for the people of Israel, the destruction that they were facing. But this book, it's not Chronicles of Narnia, it's not 
Harry Potter. It's the Bible. It's the word of God. It's something that talks truth about our lives. This fantasy that I called it, that's not a fantasy. It's the hope that we have coming for us. And it's going to be a good day when it comes. To the Jews that were hearing this text, perhaps this was even unbelievable. If they're in slavery, if they're facing destruction, things won't seem to ever get better. But this text that they have says it will, and the Messiah will come and he will be delivered. But instead of being like a teenager on Christmas morning thinking about what do I get out of this, let's look at how, how this is all going to come. Let's go back to the text in verse 1. It says, Then a shoot will grow up from the stump of Jesse, and a branch from his roots will bear fruit. So who's, who's my one of scholars here knowing who Jesse is? It's King David's dad, right? And so Israel's being told that there's going to be a new king coming, and it's not going to be David. It's going to be a new type of king. And what's he going to be like? This imagery of trees and stumps is kind of weird. Stumps are seemingly useless. I was going to bring one up here, but that's not the focus. The stumps come from the destruction Previously in Isaiah, it talks about how the lofty trees will be felled and the forest thickets will be cut with an axe and Lebanon will fall before the mighty one. It's in this destruction and chaos and hopelessness that the Messiah has promised. The Redeemer will come. Sometimes we wonder if God is really God and in our hopelessness, is he there? Does he care when everything seems terrible? This Messiah, who's promised here in Isaiah, he's going to have a special relationship with the Holy Spirit. He's going to be a special type of king. And then we go to verse 3. It says, His delight will be in the fear of the Lord. He will not judge by what he sees with his eyes, and he will not execute justice by what he hears with his ears. But he will judge the poor righteously and execute the justice for the oppressed of the land. What is this talking about? Righteousness and faithfulness? Human leaders see people based on what their value is to individuals. Saying this Messiah, he, he's, he's going to be leading not based on how we see people, but based on how God sees them. He is God. Sometimes I have a running list in my head. If I meet someone who has a lot of influence, I say, I need to remember this person. Add them on LinkedIn. I want to use them later, right? God doesn't do that. He doesn't look at our value that, based on what we do. He says he's, he's going to see them how. Not by what he sees with his eyes, or not with what he hears with his ears, but with righteous and justice. I'm excited for that day. This passage, it ought to give hope, right? If you like me, a time period where there's no destruction no violence. We can't really find that today. Now, as I'm thinking through theology and through the scripture, if that time when there's no destruction or violence, I think of Genesis 3. I might be thinking that's, that's the fallenness part, right? That's the, that's the bad part of Genesis. But it talks about after Adam and Eve sinned, God goes looking for them while they're walking on the cool of the day, as they usually do. There's this time that God, with Adam and Eve, his, his people, They'd walk together in the cool of the day. My wife, when she was growing up, her parents would take her after dinner for walks almost every night. And they'd talk about the day. They'd talk about how school went and what's coming up next. This time of walking together in the cool of the day, it's, it's intimacy. That's how things were meant to be. 
I'm excited for that day when we get to do that with God. What would you, what would you even talk about? What would you do? So, what did you do today? <laughs> like, it doesn't make sense. This passage in Isaiah should give hope, and it gave hope to the people of Israel for years and years and years. In the grand scheme of things, the author of Nat Geo and Gunger, they weren't wrong. Everything's going to be all right. It's true, but it's not based on good people or our science. It's based on our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. He is on the throne. Now, in some ways, if we were Jewish, the whole story ends here. Things are terrible. There's a promise of a Savior coming. We're waiting for him. Lucky for us, we know him, and the story's not over. The season that we're in continues for another couple of weeks. It's called Advent, and it's the arrival. And we waited for the arrival of Jesus, the Messiah, the baby boy. What are we waiting for now? Let's continue for, at chapter 11, verse 4 in Isaiah. So he will judge the poor righteously and execute justice for the oppressed of the land. He will strike the land from the scepter of his mouth, and he will kill the wicked with a command from his lips. Righteousness will be a belt around his hips, and faithfulness will be a belt around his waist. The wolf will dwell with the lamb, and the leopard will lie down with the goat. The calf, the young lion, the fattened calf will all be together, and the child will lead them. The cow and the bear will graze, and their young ones will lie down together. And the lion will eat straw like cattle. The infant will play beside the cobra's pit, and the toddler will put his hand into the snake's den. And they will not harm or destroy each other on my entire holy mountain. For the land will be as full as the knowledge of the Lord as the sea is filled with water. This whole thing is about hope. Now, looking at... Looking at what's coming up next. This kingdom that they're describing, that's not here. That's not a reality. We just talked about all the filth and junk that's still in our world. Now, turn with me over to to Luke chapter 1. We're going to be reading what we just read for Christmas. Now, perhaps you've read this so many times that the details, you kind of gloss over them and miss them at this point. And so, what's going on? We're going to be at Luke chapter 1, verse 26, and it's talking about the angel Gabriel speaking to Mary. It says this. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God into a town in Galilee called Nazareth to a virgin engaged to a man named Joseph on the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary, and the angel came to her and said, Greetings, favored woman. The Lord is with you. But she was deeply troubled by the statement, wondering what kind of greeting could this be? Then the angel told her, do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. Now listen, you will conceive and give birth to a son, and you will name him Jesus. He'll be great. He'll be called the son of the most high God. The Lord God will give him throne of his father David. Throne of his father David, that's, that should ring memory of Jesse and Isaiah. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom will have no end. To the good Jew that heard this, Mary and who Mary told, it should spark memories of Isaiah, this utopia that we're all super excited for because things seem so terrible in this day of the Lord's coming. That's what the angel said to Mary. It's not just you're going to have a baby, but it's going to be a special kind of baby. It's cause for celebration. The Redeemer's here. Later in Romans, you don't need to turn there, but Paul talks about this baby. 
And he says in Romans chapter 15, verse 12, and again, Isaiah says, the root of Jesse will appear, the one who rises to rule the Gentiles. The Gentiles will hope in him. Now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you believe that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. What's with this whole root of Jesse thing? Why does Paul describe Jesus in this way? It's because it goes back to Isaiah, this Messiah. Jesus isn't just this messianic ruler who's going to come and take out all of Israel's enemies. It's going to be a special kind of ruler, bringing this era of peace. Now, Jason preached the other day about how this passage says, the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you believe that you may overflow with the hope of the power of the Holy Spirit. I used to think that hope and joy and these fruit of the spirits, as soon as you become a Christian, they just show up, automatically become a better person. Is that how it works? No, it says, through belief in Jesus Christ does that come to you. Through belief is there joy and peace, and the result should be hope. If this is new to you, you might be thinking, but Brian, Jesus, he's here. I know him. Things should be getting better. But last I looked at it, Grandma still doesn't remember who I am, and she gets violently confused, and the school shooting is still being expected here any day in the school district, and the oceans are still getting warmer. There's still people in slavery. Things aren't getting better. How come this Bible says things are going to be great, but my reality says otherwise? That's where this D-Day and V-Day illustration comes back. Now, D-Day, remember this decision day, World War II? Battle of Normandy. For another 336 days after that battle on Normandy, the war continued. That battle, that's Jesus coming, living, dying on the cross, and rising again. We can look back and say, battles won. Jesus won. He's victor. Now, there's still a battle to fight. We're still waiting for him to come again for this victory day to come. And I'm excited for that day. And so what do we do in the meantime? There's a battle. How do we live it out? Do you remember this time period of looking back at the cross and saying, I know that day happened, and so things are going to be getting better. Revelation chapter 21 talks about this new heaven and new earth. It says, then I heard a loud voice from the throne. Look, God's dwelling is with humanity and he will live with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them, and he will be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Death and grief will be no more, and we're crying, no more pain, because the things of the past have passed away. Sometimes when I imagine heaven, especially when I was younger, I used to think it was this big field where everyone sat down in little togas, and we sang hymns all the time for eternity, and I said, why would anyone want that? That seems terrible. But thinking about it, is that really what it's like? Is that what our hope is in? We know our Savior. He's preparing a place for us. If you, you might know C.S. Lewis, one of the most influential Christian writers of our day, and he writes in The Last Battle talking about some theology. Well, we can read into it and see where his theology came. But he writes in The Last Battle talking about Aslan's country, the equivalent of what our kingdom of God is going to be like. And he says, all their life in this world and all the ventures had only been a cover and title page. Now, at last, they were beginning chapter one of the great story where no one on earth has read, which goes on forever. 
in which every chapter is better than the one before. The things of our day that we hope for, the things that get us excited, wake us up today, are only a glimpse of what's coming in the future. I'm super excited for that. Perhaps it's going to be a big field where there's all these puppies that never poop. Yes, I, I can't preach and talk, not talk about poop here. And so there you go. Perhaps there's a workshop where there's cherry and hickory and all these beautiful woods and it's all free and you can do whatever you want with it. The things of today that we enjoy so much are only a glimpse of what's coming. I'm excited. There should be hope in that day coming soon. It's not in our own resilience. It's not in our government. It's not in the things that we have that we can say, if only things can be better, if only we try good hard enough, if only science can figure out this discovery. In Christ, his kingdom's going to be fully realized, and I'm excited for it. Now, what would it look like if you and I were marked as people who this hope was actually how people describe us? If they know that when bad stuff happens, our life is going to still be looking okay. Not because of any health or wealth or any prosperity, but because we have a secret that Jesus is coming again. Perhaps our worldview will be a little less narrow, and when the news seems terrible, it won't be like life or death. What would our community look like, Evergreen, if when bad things happened, we wouldn't just dismiss the evil and sing Bob Marley, but instead we would recognize it and say, you know what, our Lord and Savior is still on the throne. Together as a community, I think we'd be seeking justice. I think we would be reminded what our purpose is, is in this life. You know, Fred Rogers, Mr. Rogers, my son's about two and he loves Daniel Tiger, and so Mr. Rogers comes up a lot in our house. But when he said that when his mom, or when he saw bad stuff on the news, his mom would tell him, look for the helpers. What if when bad stuff happens, we become the helpers, not because we're good people who are supposed to be spiritual and unique, but because we know the true helper. And there's a day that's coming that we get to be part of. Personally, what would it look like if your life was marked by the hope of the age that's going to come? At work, maybe you wouldn't need to prove yourself so much. Maybe when you get in trouble, you're not going to get defensive. Maybe when, thing, when you get a bad prognosis, you can say, the, Lord's still on the, king. the Lord is still on the throne. Things are going to be okay. Instead of becoming cynical, disheartened, discouraged, in the new year, let's be reminded of the hope we have in Christ. He came once and he declared, my kingdom come, and he's coming again very, very soon. We should wake up every morning excited for that day, expecting it to be here. Let's look forward to that day. It's a season to be reminded that for all those millennia when Israel was waiting for that messianic king to come, he did come. We should remember that and say he's coming again very, very soon. As the worship team comes back up, let's, let's pray. Lord God, Savior, Messiah, great counselor, thank you for this day. Thank you for Bergen Park Church, for the work that you're doing here. Thank you for allowing us to participate in your work. Help us have an ear to hear what you're doing, an eye to see your work. Lord, I pray as this new year comes, as sometimes it's a hard and discouraging time of year, Help us remember the hope that we have in you. Help us remember that you're coming. 
Give us the strength to endure and persevere, but not based on our own works, not based on our own ability to survive, but because you are taking care of us and you're the great healer. Say us in your name. Amen.